All right. Welcome back to another edition of the Illuminati podcast. I'm here with Nathan Bond. Join alongside me as always, Robert Stieg, Seth Varnador. Uh, jam-packed show. Um, some fun things to talk about. Um, some not so fun things to talk about, but overall, pretty good, pretty good weekend for, for the Bulls, I would I would guess. Um all things considered, Seth, you and I were up in Gainesville. We we yes. saw it live and in person. Uh, my heart rate was at 147 <laughs> um, with about three minutes left in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, that's pretty good. I wasn't catatonic, so that's nice. Yeah, that's uh, all you can hope for is to get, get your heart rate up. Yeah, just feel yeah. something. Yeah. Boy, I, I, I've, I was uh, <laughs> felt a lot felt, of things. I felt a lot of things. I felt some things, that's for sure. Um, legit i like i had to like take a couple deep breaths and just like i wasn't even playing in the game i was just watching from like a thousand feet away well you're out of practice i really am it's been a long time since usf's been in that kind of game in that moment in that space on the road uh it was exhilarating to say the least steak you were not in gainesville what were you doing and did you um, enjoy yourself so we had a busy evening that evening uh so i didn't watch i like i was paying attention to what was happening on twitter obviously but wasn't watching the game and at halftime when it was 24 to 10 right um i just was it 24 10 it it was yeah something like that i was like 24 got home 24 13 we'd gotten home and we were like, I don't feel. I feel like I'd get bad juju. Like I feel like if I'd started to watch, like we would just get started to get boat raced because you know I, I just bring a curse upon this program, right? And then they started to come back, and then they took the lead, and I I looked over at Paige and I was like, I absolutely cannot watch now. Like I just <laughs> I cannot because I know for a fact if I do they'll they'll lose like it it'll it'll just you know switch right. will flip and florida sideline and they'll be like oh shit injury sliders no longer exist and anthony richardson throws for 400 yards in the fourth quarter or something like that um but i will say i'm gonna blame the loss on Paige. oh okay <laughs> no She's going to come into this room and yeah, she looks unhappy with me right now. <laughs> she turned the game on her phone. Oh, on that last rookie drive. move. Paige, <laughs> she just hell? flipped me off. <laughs> <laughs> rookie no, move. but I, uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was actually quite nice. And I'll, I'll put it this way. I enjoyed watching the game through the eyes of everyone else and seeing what they're reacting to it live. It was a very like out of body experience for me. Um, to like not see what's happening and not being able to react to it myself, but just relying on like what you guys are tweeting out, what Abby and what Lauren Pickle and Alicia and, and everyone else who was attending the game, watching their live reactions to things like through social media was just the funniest. Like it was in the weirdest way. It was a lot of fun to watch. No. I, I'm still kind of flabbergasted that page would just, does she not love you? I just don't know. Enemy number one now in this chat. Yeah. I got a wow. whiteboard over here now. <laughs> look, look yeah, what you did to our guy. It, look what she did to Hector. Paige, no. you are now on the, the Billy Madison blacklist. <laughs> so just be careful. Steve Buscemi's coming for you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll pass along the message to her tonight from everyone. I, uh, so everyone it. in the comments can uh give your live reactions to how you feel. I'll pass the message along and hopefully, uh, you know, don't sleep on the couch tonight. <laughs> Nathan, what do you think about the boots at the swamp? I thought Raymond James is quite a bit better. Oh yeah. I mean, for, I mean, first of all, Raymond James doesn't run out of soda pop. And they have, one. and they have Coca-Cola products, which and they is have like, Coca-Cola products. I'm not drinking. So. Am I drinking Pepsi? Seek? I'm not drinking that swill. All right. I mean, I did because uh, I needed something. Water wasn't going to do it for me. <clears throat> I, had to, uh, I had to stick with the water. So, but it like was, it was open air, which was interesting. Yeah, that was that was interesting. I'm glad it, I couldn't imagine being in that press box during like a noon game. Yeah, that would have yeah. sucked. Yeah, uh, it was, it was really the weather was really though. nice. Yeah. 
Uh, interesting under like I know they're under like I think the were the bull gators the big I know that that deck is like one mm-hmm. of their seating sections. It's under that. The cool part about it being outside is you could hear the crowd really well. So that that was kind of cool. But also like the deck would shake a little bit and the, there was TVs right in front of us and they would shake a little bit uh every now and then. So that was terrifying. But, also uh, couldn't see the jumbotrons from where we were sitting. Yeah. So we had to we had to rely on the TVs, which that was they did have a nice setup there where they had one TV that was like almost live in game like feed and then the regular television feed, which is a little bit behind. So you could kind of go back and forth and watch for replays and things like that, um, which I think the feed at, in Raymond James is always like behind one. So you don't yeah. get the feed in real time. So that was cool. But I'm uh, I'm partial to Ray, I'm partial to Raymond James, you know, there's yeah. a reason they have Super Bowls and stuff there. No, it was freaking huge, though. That was one thing I was surprised. How many seats do you think were in that thing? Oh, 300 plus easy. It was nuts. It was humongous. Yeah, that was that was the more surprising thing because, you know, coming from USF, I figured, uh, you know, kind of shocked because it's an NFL stadium. You figure there's not going to be as many press box seating, especially, you know, uh, UCF's pretty small. Um, Navy's is even smaller um, just <laughs> yeah. from the ones that I've been to. So it was nice to. I've, I've been in D2 space. ones. Yeah, I've been in D2 ones that are bigger than Navy's. <laughs> when I was coaching, we had, I was up in the box. How was we the had some, food trash. It was uh, catered like it was Tijuana Flats or something. So it was like, Ugh. but like, no cheese? Tijuana Flats oh, from like two days before? <laughs> yeah, it was not. But, but they like, did have, uh, they did have, uh, they did have a post game meal as well, so that was, that was that was nice. That was pretty clutch. Um, I tell you what, though, I could a question here. I could definitely hear USF fans. Yes, they were pretty loud too. There, yes. there was I don't know if there was some screeching out in uh, horror or something, but it was loud when USF made big plays. So, yeah. and you could see the second we were kind of directly across the stadium from the USF section, so you could kind yeah. of see it going up the stadium. So, you know, it was, I, uh, I do think that there is one particular Florida fan because I remember growing up and going to those games that like anytime the opposing team would score, Seth, I vividly remember like some woman shrieking out in terror every time the opposing team scores. That was actually Seth as the little boy. Yeah, right. (laughs) It may be be my cousin. My my younger cousin is a diehard. He still goes to every game and he used to scream like a maniac. So it may have been him. (laughs) <laughs> honestly it could have been because like i i never hear it at any other like sporting venue ever but ever like thinking about florida games growing up it's just like you like western kentucky scores like the fourth quarter and you're like yeah! <laughs> it was it was loud when when usf made big plays it was it got pretty loud there so i yeah, think awesome. usf fans the usf band was really loud too it was an it was a good yeah. atmosphere yeah, yeah, they showed up. The fans showed up. That was pretty awesome. Uh, and when Amaris Brown, you know, picked off that pass in the end zone, you could hear a pin drop. Except you, all you heard were USF fans just screaming, which yeah. was uh, uh, pretty remarkable. Let's get into the the recap of that game. Uh, the number eighteen Florida Gators uh, hold off, uh, luck out, get outplayed, but still win the South over the South Florida Bulls, 31-28. I mean, by all accounts, you know, I, I, I tweeted this uh, uh, on Saturday from, from the house account, like USF beat the dog shit out of Florida and USF. Like that was such a winnable game. And it's one of those uh, things where two plays are different and you win by 10. And that's, that's the crazy part when you rush for nearly 300 yards and you still come up on the, the other side of the stick. That's it's a tough pill to swallow. It's going to be interesting to see how they kind of respond. And we'll get into that when we pre when we preview Louisville, but I mean, by all accounts that USF had the perfect game plan for this game. Well, they executed it perfectly too. It was the, the more important thing. Not, not perfectly, but I mean, they did kind of, they had a really good plan. I was just, my, why we were late is because I was, I, I was doing a, a Florida thing and it was waiting for it to upload and it took forever. But like they had Florida's def- defense just swimming. They didn't know what was coming, especially in the first half. They had motion a ton. They had reads on, I think Jeff Scott said there was a read element on every run play. That's what he said today. Um, and there, I mean, you go back and watch, there was, and, and Gary did a really good job with that. I think there was maybe one he missed and it still ended up being a pretty good play. Um, 
but they had a great game plan. And really, like we were talking about USF running the ball down Florida's throat. Florida ran the ball well, too, but they did not get a lot of plays because USF held the ball mm-hmm. for most of the game and converted third downs, which they hadn't done. So they they had an awesome plan, especially offensively, um, and really executed really well. Just a couple things here and there. A couple breaks that didn't go away. A couple bad snaps um, or missholes. Just small things like that that I think Jeff Scott said today or, or, or Jeff Scott said whenever he had his press or kind of things they do over and over and over and haven't had an issue with ever, even in practice. Just sometimes that stuff happens at the worst possible time. And then that's kind of what that's kind of why those um, things you take for granted. Yeah. And I don't think Florida won any part of overtime, Uh, even though they'd kind of gone down and made the last score to win. It was you kind of felt like USF had kind of run the game for the most part. Right. And uh, I don't think Florida really wanted any part of overtime. So they, they, they kind of lucked out. The USF made – it was really USF's mistakes really I think that stopped them all night. Yeah. And the one thing that, you know, Saturday kind of reminded me of, it was that uh, – I hate to bring this one up. It's going to cause some, some tears. But that 2017 Central Florida game, like there was no doubt in my mind that they were going to go down the field and score or at least – compete, you know, outside the Mitch Wilcox fumble, you know, those self self-inflicted wounds that, you know, ended the game. I was not worried one bit, five minutes left with the way this team had been running the ball playing in that the entire game. Like I was not worried that they were going to go down and at least kick a field goal or maybe even go for the win. Um, and, I mean, they were, they were at the Gators 23 yard line with 50 yeah, I thought they were, they, I thought they, they had position to go. I, I thought they were in position to go for the win until that snap. I thought, okay, yeah. they're, they're methodically moving the ball down the field here pretty well and taking, and I think part of their plan, they took a ton of time too, but not in a way where they were wasting time. Right. Uh, they, they did a really good job, like milking the, it was basically like, we're going to go to overtime or win the game or, or, you know, that's it. But yeah. And, you know, I pointed out to you when we were sitting in the press box, uh, USF takes their second timeout and it, it was, a, it was like a planned timeout. I can't remember how long was left in the game, but you just casually see Jeff Scott kind of walk down to the, the fields, uh, the field judge, like, all right, I want to call a timeout now with two seconds left on the play clock, just milking the clock. The one thing that they Travis Trickett pointed to last week in the press conferences, uh, what I you know pointed toward the, in, the, in the game preview, you've got to be able to do the two things that App State was able to do against Texas A&M to pull off those kind of upsets, convert on third down, control the clock. USF mm-hmm. was eight of 15 on third down, two of two on fourth down. They controlled the clock. I think they had the, the ball for 16 more minutes. They they ran, I, I want to say it's like 20 more plays somewhere around yeah, there. I think Florida ran like 40. I think USF might have ran 76 or something like yeah, that. They, like they, yeah, it was a big difference. That, yeah. the, the things that were lining up for them to pull off this upset were there. It's just USF just could not get of their, get out of their own way in the most critical moments. Um, it, it, but outside of that, it was it was perfect. It was pitcher perfect for 59 minutes and 10 seconds. Like you couldn't have asked for a better, yeah. better way to, to go into this game. If you had told me USF's going to have the ball down, what three with five minutes left and they're going to drive down and it potentially it's gonna be second and second and what seven or second and 10 or something like that. Second, at the and, second and six from the 19 yard line yeah. with 43 seconds left. Okay. You're like deal. Bet. Let's Yeah. <laughs> So it was, it was, um, like they, they played great. And if this is the USF offense we see the rest of the year, um, I think that'll, uh, that's, that's one thing. It's not like we, when we talked about this last night for, uh, next level, watch it Wednesdays at seven, obviously, in some coats. Um, we will be spotlight. I also have a spotlight on Brian Petit on there tomorrow night because he's a Sarasota kid. So quick little spotlight on how awesome he played. But, um, we, we talked about, you know, just how, I, I totally lost my train of thought. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I just totally lost it. You're such a natural at that too. I would have just fumbled I, over my words for five minutes. There. I totally, I totally lost what I was going to say. What were we talking about? I will say. So on that final drive, there was a third and there was a third and ten. 
to help extend the drive on first down. They lost the yard second down. Gary gains that yard back. And then it was a nice slant route to Joffrey Brown for 20 yards. And like, okay, they, they figured it out. They've they'll, they'll be move on down the field. I think Seth figured out. Yeah, it it is. Uh, It was, um, I, I got my cheap plug in and totally forgot what I was trying to say. I think the way they played last or the way they played last week is a lot more sustainable than how they played tight games previously under Jeff Scott. Like um, we had kick returns for touchdowns against Houston, kick return and interception return against Tulsa. So those aren't super sustainable things, but the way the offense played, I think is sustainable. So if you can keep playing like that, you're going to have a chance to win games. I think so too. And, and I mean, the way that they just fully dominated. I mean, they had 272 yards of offense uh, in the first half. Kentucky, the week prior, had 272 yards of offense the entire game. Just, I I can't. With a first round pick at quarterback. Allegedly. Yeah. Our Mayo King. Don't discredit him. (laughs) Well, maybe discredit him a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I I think I'm going to come in hot with this one. Uh, I'm very pleased with basically everything that happened in that game. Like, yeah, we could talk about the officials and and how that whole thing shaked out, and Jeff Scott's comments about you know he didn't he we don't have the SEC money to take a fine kind of tells you his full thoughts on this without telling us his full thoughts, which. I love that side of Jeff Scott. <laughs> you know, his his good old Southern boy uh, charm comes out there for half a second. But really, I, the mistakes that were made against Florida that cost the game, and, and you can kind of pinpoint to about three things, you know, self-inflicted things. The, the pick six, um, you know, they, they kind of swung that second quarter. You know, I don't think that there's many defensive backs the rest of the way that are going to make a play like that. Player good, did. It was who, a good break. It was very. It was good. a great break and a very bang bang play. And I think there's a lot of referees out there that would probably err on the side of throwing a little yellow tissue on the ground for uh, the amount of contact there. But regardless, a lot of those mistakes that were made were self inflicted. And and you know you can talk about the snap and the muffed kick and everything, but really you know there is more positive than in this one game that I think we had seen in any other Jeff Scott coached game under USF, even those games against the domination against temple that felt like we were just beating up on a team that was just very low into the ground. We did this against the number 18 team that we have to, we, we don't even get the same realm of recruiting players in Florida's realm. So with the amount of talent on Florida's team, you know, the, the 112 coaches that they have on their support staff and everything that goes into the University of Florida football program for USF to not just put a scare into Florida, flash their life before their eyes, because had they lost to UCF in that Gasparilla Bowl and then follow that up a few short months later with a loss against USF at home. Oh, my God. They would Billy Napier wouldn't have made it out of that stadium. It's not even his fault at that point. But like oh, yeah. that's something you, that doesn't happen at Florida. They don't lose to these directional schools. The the amount of evenness is is shocking between these two programs now. Oh, I thought I thought Seth, you were going to jump in there. Um, I will say I, I stunned you guys with my silence. I, you did, you did. <laughs> it was uh, you know podcasting one hundred and one kind of feed off the other person there, Steve. Uh, right. So, uh, Chris, you said, you know, close game felt better, more confident than any other close game in the last like three years. Uh, and it, it's true, right? I mean, Seth, we, we've talked about basically after the FAMU game, after the Citadel game, after the Howard game, we, we felt kind of ick mm. <laughs> about this team uh, after, after a win. It, I don't feel the, the ick factor uh, after Saturday. I mean, it, I, I don't know. I'm at a loss for words that I, I'm not okay with the, like, I want to be clear here. We're not okay with the loss, but the, the vast improvement that we've seen from week one to week three is uh, astronomical. And quite frankly, I did not see coming. And I, I love seeing the plan. The plan was really, really good. And they showed Florida. There were times early where Florida was aligned a certain way because they had not seen the quarterback run the ball. And USF had designed runs with like two guys leading for the quarterback. Florida was not prepared for that. 
after watching the first two games uh, with Bohannon. He had a couple of design runs, like maybe one or two, but he they had not had as much. So there was, I think there was some shock at all the different ways they put him in the run game. And Florida was not prepared for it. And, uh, and then USF wore out the boundary, which was where, I think a couple of Florida's maybe not worst players, but least disciplined players play. And they read them a lot. They ran at them, made them take on blocks. It was a really good play. And that was back into the boundary, which was about, it was over 70% of the runs ended up going back to the boundary. So that was something we saw live. We asked Jeff Scott about it. He gave us nothing. But when we went back, when I went back and looked at it, it was a very high percentage of those runs back to the boundary. And then Bohannon did so good as we've seen a few people comment. He was so good reading and reading the run game. If they gave him a read on every play, like I said, I think he missed on one and that's just, he could have kept it, but he gave it and he still got like five or six yards. Everything was really well designed. So I was glad to see that kind of creativity on offense where, you hadn't really seen a ton. You've seen a little bit. I, I like the the Howard, the game plan. Um, and then you know what else I liked seeing quite a bit? Uh, I think Brian Petit might be your best back with this quarterback. So it was. I liked seeing him get all those carries because uh, it started from the good. jump where he – I think there's uh, one of the – I think Florida safety's jock straps still in like the 35-yard line because he yeah. got juked out of it on the first play of the game. Yeah. They're like, oh, so it's going to be that kind of night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I, I don't know if we, if I asked you this um, off air uh, last night when we were recording your show, uh, but for both of you guys, um, Jeremy Mangum, obviously, you know, dealing with the ankle injury. Uh, does Gary Bohannon kind of make Jaron Mangum redundant in this offense? I think so. Last year, we kind of thought, um, that with Timmy McLean, with his kind of athleticism and him kind of being more of an outside perimeter runner, we thought that Mangum is a perfect compliment because he's an inside guy. And they paired him up early in the year last year a lot. And that's kind of what we kind of – that was our our thought, our theory was that, okay, they're kind of – one's an inside guy, one's an outside guy, pair him up. Well, I think Bohannon showed he's pretty – I mean, he can he's good on the perimeter, but he's got some physicality to him. and. But he is so good in space. So that's what I think you – yeah, I think there may be some redundancy. Now, Mangum's still a good player, and I think he's still going to get his carries. But um, it may be a game-by-game thing. But I thought – I think that element of speed and space, especially with all the read stuff you're doing, mm-hmm. they did a lot of – and you'll we'll see – we'll have a lot of fun stuff to watch tomorrow night for the film room. But they did a lot of what was called bash, which is back away. So the quarterback has the ball here. The back's basically running full speed away from the play, and you're reading the backside end and usually pulling guys. And the quarterback's on the, on the front side of the run play. The running back's to the backside, and he has a lead blocker. You just give that to Batia a couple times. If you if you get the – and you have your tight end leading up on the alley player, that's really tough to defend with Bohannon being so good running uh, – phys- kind of physically running mm-hmm. the ball downhill. So – there may be some redundancy, but I think those guys you have, what's nice is you have a really good backfield and you got to see a different guy kind of feature. And I mean, we, we were calling somebody, we had somebody call for 25 carries for Batine in the chat last week. Pretty good call. Got 17. I mean, just imagine they gave him 25. <laughs> you might have 300 <laughs> yards. You might have 300 total yards. I mean, and, and shout out Mikey Dukes. He was a nice little, change of pace spell back for for USF after Mangum he tried to uh tried to give it a go and just tweaked his ankle couldn't go anymore but Mikey Deuce had to I, if you guys haven't seen it uh Morgan our photographer got a fantastic picture of him diving into the end zone I think that was the touchdown to take the lead if I'm not mistaken yeah, on the uh, speed up uh, it, it was uh incredible seeing what he's been able to do the first few weeks uh, we'll get into what he he's been able to do in, in you know the fantasy world because that's what really matters. Uh, but he's been he's been really impressive as as Kelly Joyner. I prefer reality. Uh, <laughs> as Kelly Joyner still kind of comes back from uh, his injury, um, but it, that was it was it was nice to see the running backs kind of complement each other. I figured I'd at least ask see what see what you guys thought. Um, and then the the fourth down uh, pitch to Batie is uh, as Eric you, you mentioned, man. That was 
it was pretty close. I'm sure Brian's pissed that he got caught, but dang, man, when you take that fourth and what, fourth and one, fourth and two, and take it 50 yards and kind of suck the the life out of that stadium for even a bro- brief moment, that was uh, that was pretty incredible. Yeah, that guy took a high angle to catch. It. <laughs> absolutely absolutely so i mean just uh, you know i I think we we do have to talk about the snap and the hold i think that it's only uh, can we can we sandwich it and also close out with close out the recap with some defense talk yes so let's sandwich you know let's let's get the bad in there you know yes we'll get the bad in there we'll we'll talk about the defense uh, and we'll start we'll start with run defense and then <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. Right. So bad, bad, good. Is that that's how that's yeah. how it will go. Uh, so just the the one thing you can't you can't do the thing you can't take for granted. Just oh, I feel terrible for Brad Cecil, but it, that's a that's a play you make literally ninety nine times. You you made it seventy five times prior. So it, I I haven't heard anybody talk about this yet. There were a couple other ones that were low that Bohena went down and got. It's just he couldn't quite get that. He couldn't get on that one. Yeah, is that more of a? I've got I've got a four hundred guy lined up over my. It could head be, like it could, sure just, yeah, gotta, it could be that. Like I got to get, I got to get up. I got to get my hands up quick. Being center is probably the one of the hardest jobs in football. It's not probably the most underratedly difficult job in football. A center with especially when you got a nose on you, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was like there was like one other one that was low, but Bohan was able to handle it. But unfortunately, that last one was coming back hot. Yeah, and you know overall, the the offensive line played phenomenally. I mean, you don't rush for you know nearly three hundred yards by being bad, and they didn't give up a sack. Some pressures. Uh, I think the the second interception was kind of largely due to uh, the two tackles kind of getting pushed right into Gary and he just kind of let it go. It did technically hit Choffrey's hands and, you know, Madden's rule. If you touch it, you got to catch it kind of thing, but it was, it was a little high and out a little too far outside of the frame. And, you know, the Florida defender just made a really great interception. Just kind of chalk it up to that. Um, now the, the hold, I mean, is that, that's just a case of the yips. I don't uh, what, it was it was humidish. I don't know. It looked like it just slipped. Just yeah. watch it. He goes to put it down. It looks like it just slips. It, it's, it's one of those things that I you know a holder's probably done that hundreds of thousands of times with no issues, right? It, it's the one time where it can't happen. And it's to me, it's you know the, the spotlight might have gotten a little big. Um, you know, I could think of a thousand cliches and idioms to say that you know in that situation, but. You know, it's it's the same thing that you think about, like the nerves that every single fan was probably feeling in that moment in that stadium. All every fan watching it at home as well, Florida and USF side of things. You got to think the pressure's on three people at that point, and and that's it really. It's, it's the the long snapper making a good snap right where it needs to be, the holder being able to put it down and put laces out, and the kicker needing to do his job as well. And unfortunately, when, you know, one plus one plus one doesn't always work out in that way. And that's just kind of the way that the cookie crumbles sometimes. I mean, shit happens. Spencer, Spencer Schrader got like four points. I I mean, to get from where that ball was and to where it ended up to get it that far. Like he, that's good from like 65. If he, if he, if it's a perfect hole. Oh, he would have drilled it. I thought it was good from our angle. Rushed. I could I could really not tell from our angle if it was good or not. I really thought the refs were going to give us the makeup call there. Like I swear, the, the well, I swear, pass interference I swear one ref did like this. <laughs> like, I was like, what is what is going on here? I think I think so. The the ref on the left, so because it, it missed, so upright it missed here yeah, barely. Right. Yeah. This ref thought it went in. I guarantee it. He was slow. He did not make a he he didn't make a to react to it. Yeah, uh, it was. You know what though he the. The whole the slip, he almost got it back up. It's just it's too late. Like those things are such finely tuned machines that that operation time that you can't have a slip up like that. But he almost got the ball back up vertical, and that let Schrader get a little bit on it, and he nuked it. But it was like a knuckleball. It was like the what was the name of the Jubilani? Was that the name of the ball in the World Cup? 
Oh, the oh, oh God, that's such an obscure the, reference. Was that the the, the one that would knuckle? The, yeah, the one that would knuckle. Is that was that the name of the one that would just knuckle like crazy? The South Africa one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it was a Jubilani, I'm just <laughs> an animal looking. And that I'm just hoping that's not some type of slur. <laughs> okay, let's go. Done what I did last night. <laughs> The Jabulani. I was close. I mean, that, that counts. Pretty close. That counts. All right. Um, and Eric, uh, real quick, it's Andrew Beardall is the holder, not Andrew Stokes. So yeah. there's that. And Stokes only punted once, and it, it was inside the 20 yard line. They pinned him back at the 13, and I don't think they, I don't think they scored on that drive. So all in all, pretty successful night. You can't, you can't do much better than that. Um, but let's let's move on. Mm. We've got we're thirty minutes in. Let's briefly touch on the daily stand hour rule here. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know why we're still talking about Florida. We we've been game planning <laughs> for Louisville for three days now. Um, let's touch on the daily stampede fantasy football update week three edition. Uh, it, okay. <laughs> Order has been restored. Order has I'll been restored here, folks. Um, largely thanks to Brian Batiste, 27 points, <laughs> and Xavier Weaver's 18.2 points. Uh, your boy wins this week going away handedly with 74.2 points. Uh, I'm really proud of Steve for getting 23 points this week. Went one, two, three, four, five. Six positions of his did not score any points. So that's just a fantastic job by him. Uh, Mikey Dukes uh, uh, had 6.2 points for the best of the rest. Mikhaila Point, massive game, led the team in tackles, had a half a tackle for loss. Uh, and then uh, Seth just. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we were injured. You, you know. did your best. I don't know. I don't want to make excuses, but we were pretty injured. Um, you know, both of our teams are injured, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, th- there's no excuses at this level of football, but you know, it's a, it's a reason. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Brian, he beat my team by himself, and I beat Steve's team by myself. So, I mean. That's what you like to see. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you guys updated as as the week goes on, uh, as the season goes on. Mikey Dukes, it's just uh, he's going to be the guy. Uh, maybe until Kelly Jordan gets back, he's he's the dude at running back right now. Um, Eddie Kelly, let's let's touch about uh, touch upon him real quick. He oh, played a lot, Seth. I think he may have. He, if he didn't start, he was in early, and he he did not look out of place at all. He's a big dude. Uh, a lot bigger than you think for a guy his age. He he looks the part. He did not look out of place on that field. And I thought he did a pretty good job. So, I mean, that's one. You haven't gone a ton on high school kids in the last few classes, but it seems like you might have hit right there and hit really big. So, yeah, he's going to be a fun one to watch for sure. I would yeah. love to have a depth chart, you know. Jeff Scott, I'd really Jeff Scott, Travis Trickett. Uh, I don't think Bob Chup listens, but one of you guys, please, please give me a depth. I I won't even share it. I just want to know what the current depth chart looks like because it's. I know it's changing so often and variably, but like, I don't know where they're having these guys start out, and it's bothering me because I didn't think Eddie Kelly would be getting this much runtime. In game and, three of his freshman season. And he's <laughs> and, playing well. You know, Chris Matello just getting absolutely buried in the depth chart for you, Steve. Hey. I just don't know. If they gave us a depth chart in preseason, I probably would have absolutely drafted differently. I thought I thought they were using Chris uh, more. He's, uh, I think someone mentioned it. Uh, who was it? Uh, someone mentioned Gunnar Greenwald. Um, he blocked really well. He did. The, the tight end room, you know, passing aside because, you know, passing game has not been good for us at these uh, first three games, but uh, tight end room has been very solid for blocking purposes, which is half the job for tight ends. And that's very pleasing to see. Um, I'm excited to see how that kind of uh, keeps the ball rolling. Cause then at that point, you know, those, those guys quickly go from being, you know, primary blockers to primary safety valve, which in this offense, that's kind of burning and churning right now 
is going to be very, very important uh, going into the later half of our schedule. I think so. Uh, and let's, you know what, let's get into our, our schedule uh, on Saturday at noon, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, right? Louisville's at Central time zone, right? Pretty sure Northern Kentucky, I would assume so. I I'm just going to. I'm going to assume it um, until proven otherwise. So that's just, that's just what you do. Assume, assume you're right until proven otherwise. Uh, the Bulls will travel up to Louisville, Kentucky to face the Louisville Cardinals at noon on ESPN three. Um, I believe it's with your ESPN subscription. I think you can get it. Uh, it won't be like on TV, TV, but you can get it. You can stream it. Um, it's Eastern. Is it really good for them? <laughs> it must have just changed, <laughs> man. They're with. They're finally, for, finally. That, on the right. that, yeah, that must have been one of their uh, the, one of the last cycles on the ballot um, during primary season. I think that's probably what they they were really pushing for going from central to eastern. So I'm glad they were able to pass that. Um, Louisville is one and two heading into this game. The Bulls are also one and two heading into this game. Uh, and I still, I don't have a feel for this Louisville team. I thought they'd be a lot better than they are. I, I think the the most glaring and obvious thing to kind of discuss off the top is they made Tate Rodemaker look like a very good quarterback on Friday. And historically speaking, Tate Rodemaker has not been a very good quarterback in college. Don't tell so, him to call him. What, what do you, what do you make of this? Just on the surface, and we'll kind of dig into the Malik Cunningham. But like on the surface, I mean, what is this Louisville team? I think they're really bad at stopping the run. And against Florida State, they try to commit more bodies to stopping the run. And I think Rodemaker's good at RPOs and that kind of stuff. And so that it kind of fell right in his wheelhouse. That's where he, a lot of the throws where he was hitting were RPOs, where Louisville was committing a lot of bodies to the run run game, and he just had a one-on-one with that big-bodied receiver, and he won. He did hit a couple shots down the field, but this Louisville team is kind of bizarre because uh, you probably should have beat Florida State last week. It certainly felt like it. that uh, They kind of threw the game away a little bit. Um, so you maybe should be 2-1, and one, but you're not. And you probably should have. So they're weird because they maybe should have lost to UCF. So it's kind of they could very well be zero and three right now, or they could be two and one. It's kind of a kind of an odd odd season for them to start. But uh, I know Stieg circled the rushing matchup here. This is stats from uh, Stats of War Parker Fleming. Stats of War on Twitter. Uh, look at the EPA per rush for the USF offense against the Louisville defense. I know, Steve, that's something you pointed out earlier today. Yeah, so if that's hard to read, I'll, I'll let you in on the the, the goods here. Uh, USF is currently ranked, wait for it, first in the country on EPA per rush. And then uh, Louisville, on the flip side, on their defense, is 120th of uh, 128 FPS programs. Um. So, you know, that's neat. But the Did thing you just cut out three FBS programs? They're 131. Is it 131? Oh, Rose James Madison. Yeah. Jeez, Too much man. realignment shit's happening. <laughs> and then I forget that uh, I forget Charlotte's a, uh, in their conference now. Um, but anyways, uh, the thing to keep in mind with these statistics, at least from what Parker takes, is he takes out two major things that has affected USF this year. The first one is going to be uh, garbage time. Um, they consider garbage time when the game is basically over and decided at that point. And unfortunately for USF, most of that BYU game uh, falls into garbage category. I think after 28 point deficit, 35, once the team goes 35. up 35, it's officially garbage time. Right. So that happened, that happened early. <laughs> yes. So you can basically discredit the second half of that. You of the USF and BYU game, um, which <laughs> You know, in some aspects, is sometimes favorable to USF. Some of it isn't. Um, but then the more important thing is uh, the, the entire Howard game doesn't count here. They don't count the FBS versus FCS schools. So really, you're looking at the first half of the BYU game 
and then the entirety of the Florida game for what USF stats look like right now, um, which isn't a big sample size, but to USF's credit, you know, that EPA per rush is very good for a reason. And, and they've proved it in both of the games that have counted for them thus far. Yeah. So these numbers be, may be more indicative of Louisville than USF, just to Steve's point, because all three of Louisville's games has, have been against FBS opponents and none of them have gone into garbage time. So this is kind of what they are. And defensively, they're not great against the run. And that's what Florida State kind of wore them out in that uh, not great on early downs. There looks, you see the uh, the percentage of first downs are giving up on first and second downs, seventy five percent, and one hundred fourteenth in early downs expected points. So expected points added uh, for people that weren't with us last year when we when we use these as well. Expected points added is basically they put how many yards you gained into context of how many points did that play how many points does that play add to your like expected point total so if you get two yards on third and one that's a positive play because you're extending a drive if you get two yards on third and four that's not a positive play because you're gonna have you may have to punt right you don't you didn't extend a drive so it puts every yard gained in the context from the position on the field that the play took place and adds them all up to see how many expected points you added above normal, I guess, right? So when you see that they're really bad at EPA, that means they're giving up a lot there. So USF's really good at rush EPA. Defensively, you want to be negative. You want to have negative numbers because that means you're taking away from the offense's expected points. And you see quite a few positives on Louisville's side. So, yeah, they're not great on defense. What worries me about this game and and is something that it didn't really – the lack of plays, I think, kind of masked it. Is people are still able to run the ball on USF pretty easily, and that's I think right. that's what Louisville is going to excel. Uh, that's what they excel at is running the football. Yep, um, I mean they've got one of their the better running quarterbacks in the country, Malik Cunningham. Um, he's rushed for at least one touchdown in seven of his last eight games. The lone uh, game was the season opener um, against Syracuse this season. Uh, three of those seven have been two touchdown performances from him. He's rushed for over 100 yards in the last two games, and he's averaging over seven and a half yards of carry in those two games um, as well. So he's a different runner than Anthony Richardson is. You know, Anthony Richardson's what, like six four, six three. 250 um Malik Cunningham's maybe 61 200 pounds he's lightning quick 44 speed le- like legitimate 44 speed just Scott talked about it in the press conference on Tuesday uh if, if the defensive end over commits to the running back he is gone he will keep it and go and that's something that USF's going to have to a really really be disciplined in something that they really haven't been uh, as much as evidenced, uh, you know, the first three games of the season in run fits, you know, first, first play of the second quarter, they get popped for a 62 yard untouched touchdown uh, by the Gators uh, on the other side of the fields. Um, after, I think it was after the, the Matt Hill personal foul ish, the very next play, they weren't lined up easy you know walk in touchdown for the running back it's something that still needs to be fixed um Florida didn't really go as up tempo as I thought they would it felt it felt like they no. kind of took their time it, um I, I've watched a lot of Louisville football they they do tend to get a little fast just of how the offense is for them so that's going to be something that another thing to keep an eye out for. Uh, on their end, but the one thing for uh, USF fans, for me at least, to to take note and take heed, um, when Malik Cunningham throws an interception over the last two years, you know, last year plus the first three games of this season, they are two and five. They're zero and two this season when he throws an interception. He didn't throw one against Central Florida, and they won. So something to really keep an eye on, you know, obviously if you make mistakes, you, you got, if you force them to make mistakes, you got to pay, make them pay for it. I think this is, I think this may be another game where USF bleeds the clock again and tries to keep him off the field as much as possible and, and do exactly basically carbon copy 
this uh the the florida recipe with fewer um bullet holes in your feet (laughs) yeah i think that's a good strategy going forward uh just to kind of finish out the non-conference slate is kind of control the ball if you're able to run the ball you should be able to control the clock and kind of dictate the tempo of the game right um over under set at 64 so kind of a higher total uh so they're expecting both offenses to play pretty well uh, louisville is a 13 point favorite but i think that is a good um i've seen some people be on the under in this game because of both teams they think both teams will be running the ball a lot uh, but if you're USF and you can kind of control the tempo of the game and you slow it down, that's only going to help you out, right? The less possessions for both teams usually favors the underdog. So not a bad strategy. Yeah, and I see uh, Froza mentioned Evans is also back in the backfield for them. Yeah, he missed last week. I, I, I could not figure out why he missed. I didn't see any injury news. It could have just be discipline issue but he rushed really well uh in the the first two games of the season i think he totaled i think 80 he's averaging like 82 yards a game in the first two games a couple of touchdowns uh he he can cause some damage they're uh they're missing wiggins who's out for the season the one of the wide receivers i think he transferred from miami um so i guess that kind of helps usf but they're still dealing with their own injury issues uh christian williams should be back uh, for the Bulls, no word yet on Daquan Evans. Um, Noah, Joe, Joe. Jimmy's probably Jimmy's limited. Limited-ish. It was, I guess, a good thing that he was able to just keep running in straight lines in the yeah. backfield and be a diversion. But unless he tweaks it you know, in the run-up to this game, I think we'll see more out of him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how the tur- how he, how he kind of reacts to the turf at Louisville. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on as well uh, going forward. Um, so Louisville's offense, 6.1 yards per play their defense on the flip side, as we mentioned, they're not great. They're at, they're giving up 6.2 yards uh, per play. Third down's pretty even um, 35.9 for their offense. Uh, excuse me, 35.9 for their offense, 39.02 for their defense. The thing that's um, kind of hindered them uh, last week and this season, they've only scored on, f- they've only scored touchdowns on five of their 11 red zone possessions. Uh Hopefully that's a trend to to keep up with USF on the defensive side, and we'll talk about how well their defense played here in a second. Um, they're, they've only given up six touchdowns on twelve red zone possessions so far this year, you know, including that interception. Um, but kind of briefly going back to Florida, four straight possessions in the second half, they don't score. Florida doesn't score. I think we forced two punts, uh, two turnovers, kind of let the offense kind of get back into a rhythm and score. I think we may need to see more of that from this defense again this week. Yeah, I think if you're able to generate, like you mentioned earlier, if you can generate those turnovers, that goes a long way and limit them yourself. That goes a long way towards winning these games where you're an underdog. It's all about havoc, baby. It's all all you really got to – that was the biggest thing last year is they didn't create havoc, and they're already doing that this year. You've got five sacks when you had only nine all of last year. You're in, the, I think, the top 20 of the country in tackles for a loss right now. Yep. Um, four interceptions, I think, is good enough for like the top half of, um, you know, turnovers com- uh, forced uh, as far as interceptions go. So, you know, Shoop's defense has been able to create those havoc plays. I think now that they're starting to, uh, for lack of a better term, figure out their alignments a little bit. You're seeing at least a little bit more of consistency on paper. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, getting guys back and healthy is obviously nice as well. Um, Greer being able to, you know, make those calls in the middle, finding, you know, good depth behind them. The secondary is starting to look a little healthier and, you know, you're getting some incredible play out of Amaris Brown, who is just, he's played out of his mind thus far this year. Um, you know, kind of got overshadowed there in that first game because it was just an absolute blowout. But he's one of those guys that's really come on and and went way above the expectations that I think anyone had for him. Yeah, it looks another, like Seth picked the uh, the wrong Kansas State transfer. 
It's, yeah. <laughs> thanks. Well, I, uh, thanks a lot, Bruce Feldman, you jerk. Uh, also, a uh, note with Greer being back healthy, it was pretty much Greer and Boyles the whole game. There was right. barely, hardly any DJ Gordon there. So that was kind of, you thought, oh, he's getting a lot of playing time. He's going to be in the rotation. Not really. Not really. Not really. Uh, it was kind of evidenced by when we were trying to figure out who the for the fantasy game, uh, no linebacker recorded a stat uh, outside of uh, Boyles and Greer. So that was um, that was pretty t- pretty pretty telling. Yeah. Just just run a just run a four three, <laughs> put all three of them on the field. Right. Do me a favor, draw, just do something for me. Yeah, cheese Louise. Um, I think. <laughs> The, the one thing I want to touch on, and we'll get to predictions here in a little bit. Um, we kind of, we expected USF to be one and two coming into this game. How they got there uh, is surprising in some ways. Um, maybe not as surprising with the, the BYU game, but definitely last week's effort versus Florida. Is Saturday the linchpin or the key to the future of the USF 2022 season. Uh, how much will we learn? We're, you know, 25% through with the season. How much more will we learn about this team on Saturday than we will maybe four games into conference play? Uh, Seth? Yeah, I don't the, to me, these first four don't really uh, change much for me. Uh, but we kind of said in the offseason, if you could steal one of these, that that gives you a chance to make a bowl game, right? So if you could steal one, if you come in and steal this one, now you've, you've only got to win four in conference, right? And I think there's four winnable games in conference for this team. If this, if the team we saw last weekend, they can win four games in conference. So um, I think this game, if you want to make a bowl, you probably got to have it. But in terms of our preseason expectations, it doesn't change much for me. I had them at like five wins as like a five win team, I think. So it would be nice, but I, I, if they get blown out, obviously that would be uh, distressing um, because of the two steps forward, uh, three steps back. It feels like um, nature of those two weeks together. But I, I think as long as they're competitive and play well, you feel really good about the the momentum they're generating to head into conference season, which is really the most important thing. Steve. Yeah, I, I again bounce back and forth between how much stock I can put into this game for the rest of the season and how it's gonna affect everything. And and I, I I'm gonna go back to this this statement that I made against BYU. Your season's not lost if you lose this game. Uh, but it, it certainly helps your positive momentum going into the rest of the season. You know, there was so, again, the variability between how everyone was feeling when the clocks at double zero against Howard versus how everyone was feeling against Florida, basically the entire game and everything that happened there. And despite the loss, you know, I think it was, I hate to use a moral victory, but it was a little bit of a moral victory there, which totally rechanged what is going on in the fans' eyes. And that's the beauty of college football is that, you know, week to week, there's so much reliability and so many things that happen and so many different emotions that can happen that I don't think you can really put too much stock into the non-conference games to start the year and then how everything, you know, shifts out. You know, before the season, we all knew basically one in three was was what we were going to be staring at, you know, when we start conference play. So to exceed that expectation is obviously very, very great. But they didn't lose to Howard, and so I'm very happy about that. They played better than I thought against Florida, so I'm happy about that. I wish they played better against BYU. I can you know, rest easy knowing that that's in the past, but I think for right now, win it if you can, but I'm not going to like cry to mommy when if they lose this game or anything like that. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on that, Steve. Kind of waffling in between, like how how much stock to put into this game. Uh, We've been agreeing too much recently. I know, man. It's 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 getting it's getting a little terrifying. I'll be I'll be honest, man. Um, But it's kind of comes back to as Seth you you pointed out, man. That three steps forward, five and a half steps back, kind of thing. You 
you can't you can't lay a dud on Saturday after that performance no. in the swamp. Like it just everything you've built toward is just now you're you're basically starting back at zero. And it you know maybe it's not fair, but that's just how this kind of works out. You, you know that they, they I've kind of pointed out that two lane game from last season. You mentioned you know you're not you're not that's not sustainable the lead up to that game, but you can't, you know, compete really against Cincinnati and then compete against Tulsa, uh, beat temple compete against Houston and then just get Molly by uh, a team that won win at coming into the game. Right. So you, I can, this is, this is still part of that. I'll believe it when I see it phase, we've kind of crossed that threshold a little bit. We, we've dipped our toes in the water. It, the water feels nice. It's inviting, but I need to see it multiple weeks in a row before I truly jump two feet in, take my pants off, and start you know skinny dipping in the in the water. That it is you know confidence in this team being able to put it together back to back weeks. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's all now. It's about the great performance. Now you got to repeat that performance every week. If you can do that, you can win some games, and I think the excitement will only grow. I mean, we we you can tell here we had people. You're just getting ready to come on. We had a bunch, we had a, quite a few people waiting. People are excited and want to talk about this team and listen to talk about this team. Uh, don't don't go out and blow it. Don't poop your pants. All right, don't poop the bed. Right. I wore poop your pants. I mean, either one. Either find don't a bathroom if you have to. Bed. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that's that's really what it boils down to. Uh, for for me, I think we're I think we're kind of all in agreement um, that. Do it again. Just do it again. You 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 did it it's once. Simple. I mean, it's pretty simple. Like if you want to show improvement, I would simply just do exactly what you did last week. <laughs> and it, by all accounts, this is a much worse team than Florida. Like you should be able to compete. Was it fluky? Ah, I don't know. It didn't seem like it was fluky last week. There, the you know the fourth down play wasn't. It wasn't fluky. It was. It was a you know. Great call. play call. The yeah. two point conversion, a gimmicky, but you got to do that in these kind of games. And I think we'll see a little bit more of it uh, this week as well. I think Travis Trickett called a fantastic game. Second half, Bob Shoup called a fantastic game. Just more of the same uh, while, while adding wrinkles, adding more QB runs. Uh, now that that's on film, you're going to have to figure out uh, you know new ways to to get Gary involved in that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what Trickett and the, and the crew does to, to get him more involved. He, he said on Saturday, he likes being uh, involved. I think he said it was the most runs he's had uh, in a college game and uh, he enjoyed himself. He rushed for over hundred yards and had a touchdown. So uh, more of that, please. Um, mm-hmm. But with that, let's get into predictions. A uh, quick recap of last week. Um, we all did not hit. Some more than others. Uh, Steak's difference was 43 points. Uh, My difference in the score was 31 and Seth's was 28. So uh, good job by Seth there. Um, Let's start with Steak. The line is uh, Louisville minus 13. You know, the. You know, it's a pick gets yeah. It's it's bumped up. It's like a fourteen now. Is it fourteen now? Yeah, at least on the app that I use um, to track that. Well, see, um, here's here's your new challenge. Oh no, that one. This one. You poop the pants if you win. Um, God, so if you have wins this week, you have to poop your pants on the podcast next week. God, um, God, I went from drinking <laughs> ranch soda to shitting my pants. Yeah, I think they go right hand here. in hand. They really go hand in hand. Really I'm seeing do. so right now. I'm seeing on ESPN for what it's worth is uh, Louisville minus fourteen and a half. I saw a consensus line at fourteen. So, yeah, it's. On mm. on wager talk, I, I can see why it's it's trending in that direction. I mean, historically, when you look at something like this, and you know, it it, it kind of screams letdown game for USF. Right. Um, and, and historically, that's what typically happens the week after a big upset, most time or uh, an upset bid, I should say. You know, a team will usually kind of take that confidence, you know, puff their chest out, and then you know, go out there and poop their pants in front of a national TV audience. <laughs> Seen it time and time again. Uh, Jeff Scott's comments and, and the general comments that you've seen from the team after at least make me feel like that that's not the case here because they poop their pants too many times to go out there and do the same shit over and over again. 
Um, there's been a lot of poop and piss. Unless. About yeah. <laughs> um, but. <sighs> fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on you. Fucking prove it to me. You bastards. <laughs> fucking <laughs> prove it to me that you can do this shit. Louisville wins. Louisville covers. Prove, no. me, prove, prove me wrong. What's the score? Make the me score? look foolish. Uh, let's let's go with a nice hearty. Like uh, I think uh, Parker had like 35-12 or 35-15 or something like that. I'll be a little bit more generous. Uh, I'll go with like 42-21. More generous to who? I'll be, more, yeah. I'll be, I'll be generous. Uh, Louisville more, puts up a loss. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I... Again, prove me wrong. Uh, I'll, I'll even give me give me until y'all's predictions. I'll think of something stupid I can do if we end up winning this game. Besides pooping my pants, because <laughs> that that's already a given. Yeah, I've already. Yeah, that, that's, that happens every podcast anyway. Fellas, I gotta be honest. I have to shit, and <laughs> we're, we've gone way too long on this one so far. Well, well, we'll, we'll got five minutes longer. Everyone, okay. <laughs> uh, Seth, what is your prediction? Yeah, I'm I'm in the similar boat, you know. Fool me once, Shame when you'll fool me twice, you're not gonna fool me again. Uh, I'm gonna go. I, I say 38-24 Louisville. I'd like to see it two weeks in a row. Uh, I just don't know if the USF run defense could hold up, but I think there's a, this 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 may be worth a uh, if you just have a little money to little little bit of money to throw around, maybe worth the money line play on usf just for fun i think they could they very well could win the game but i just don't i don't trust them yet i don't trust them as far as i can throw them i shouldn't be throwing anybody with my bad back so exactly uh that's from ferris bueller steve have you seen that <laughs> yes oh okay. you with anticipation oh, there oh, that's right. and uh quick I mean, they're, uh, they're winning now now usf's gonna win Quick in podcast uh, correction. It's with your bad knee, Ed. With your bad knee, Ed. You shouldn't be throwing anyone. Well, it's true. Go suck your thumb or go suck your head. Uh, I just went on a Ferris Bueller tangent. I'll quote that movie line for line. Um, So my prediction here, folks, uh, I'm I'm with you guys. I, I don't think Louisville wins by 20 plus. But until USF proves otherwise, I'm just going to assume that they will. Right. So uh, 42-20. Louisville with a dub. Um, Prove me wrong. Prove to me that you can hit a deep shot downfield consistently. Prove to me that you can do it twice in a game. That if you do that, you can open up the offense a little bit more. You're not getting the box stacked against you. You can run a little bit more effectively. Make them respect you downfield 15 plus yards, and then we'll start talking. Spread the love, baby. Get get these receivers involved, man. We've got we've got deep receiver room. Let's uh let's get the party going. Let's let's get uh let's get some fun going there. That's that's all I have. Um with these score uh, with these score predictions, uh, are you if they hold true, lose by fourteen plus points? Does it affect how you feel about last week's game? It just if the, if it happens, if your score prediction happens, are you more pissed? Are you annoyed? Or are you indifferent to between the two weeks? I'm numb. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. I, I mean, because again, the variability between week to week, like again, it, I, I love to say this because it's it's going to be evergreen and true. I mean, non-conference games don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yes, they can help you get to the college football playoff, but you know, at this point, it I think matter. that ship has sailed. I mean, that ship sailed a little bit. So at this point, you know, you could go one and three, and if you rattle off eight wins right after that. No one's going to be talking about those first four games unless it's saying, "Oh, look at this turnaround." So, yeah, win it if you can. I think it depends on. I think it depends on how the game goes. You can lose by fourteen and still be a pretty close game for most of the game. Um, If they just get waxed and have to claw claw back and get it to a fourteen point game, then uh, probably not as not as 
feeling not not feeling as good. But if it's it could be a close game and, and they just lose at the end, I'm just like you said, let's see it two weeks in a row. Let's see the run defense show up against Malik Cunningham. Uh, I know two weeks ago we're like that dude's running for 200 yards. So not much has he's, changed since then. Still might. So, not, yeah, not much has changed <laughs> since then. So uh, let's see how the game plays out, and it could still be a, a tough, a tough final score. Yep, but a pretty good game. So we need to wait. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, that's it for us on the Bloom Naughty Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in, listening. I think Seth has, or Steve has one more thing. Uh, I know we talked about doing this before the season and then it kind of fizzled out because the BYU game became a dud. Uh, let's do, let's do, uh, if, if we're wrong, we'll do, I'll do, uh, the hot chip challenge. You know, that, that really fucking spicy ghost pepper. Okay. There we go. We'll, we'll go to the, we'll go to level 10 cause I won't give the full backstory, but that was going to be like, if, if USF got bowl eligible, then I would do that. But let's just go ahead and knock that out. All right. Uh, now, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong and make me suffer for it. Bitches, do it. There you go. <laughs> All right. For uh, Steve, Seth, I'm Nathan Bond. Thank you for tuning in, listening, uh, subscribing, liking, sharing, doing all the things. Follow us on Stampede, uh, Twitter, Stampede SBN, uh, YouTube, The Daily Stampede, uh, Facebook, The Daily Stampede for fans. Uh, where else? Instagram. I think it's The Daily Stampede. Um, yeah. I uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, couples. Good bulls. Good bulls.